everybody. Here we are again with the second podcast with Ursula Castrat, who's a great producer, talking about a part of my life that was connecting it to the last podcast we did, where I spoke about a movie I did in France. And then, not afterwards, but in the process, I also used to go to Los Angeles and Hollywood. And that was a different setting, of course. I was only involved with people of the acting world, producers, actors, and all of these people. And of course, my decision had been to become a Hollywood actress, which I never did because my father didn't allow me to follow that career. But still, I, I was fortunate enough to go to Hollywood, meet all these people. However, it was a moment that was very active, let's say. <laughs> the parties were everywhere. The liquor was flowing everywhere. So were the drugs and so was sex. I mean, you would go to a party and, and you'd probably walk around the mansion and in every room there would be activity. I mean, sexual activity and drugs. So I leave it to you, Ursula, to find out what you want to know. <laughs> well, hi, everyone. In this episode is called French Cinema and Hollywood because it all started in Europe. Susie used to go to a boarding school. In Windsor, it was a cookery school. It was Cordon Bleu, and Constance Bry, who was the most famous arranger of flowers and uh, even events for the Queen. So this was a very uh, luxurious private school, boarding school, where we learned to cook and become Cordon Bleu cooks with the final diploma. While I was studying, I had already done one job in Marbella, a story we have to come back to at another point, at the weekends. I was invited to go to model for French Vogue every weekend, virtually. I mean, it was, it was amazing. And so I was flying off to Paris for the weekend, staying in the nice hotels, doing, you know, eating delicious food and modeling for French Vogue. And my name was always coming out in these magazines, be it French Vogue or be it, be it, um, Daily Mail. Uh, um, well, the American Vogue, it was also. You know, yeah. Oh, and the Daily Mail picked up the story and they came to cover me at the boarding school. And so I was also on the cover of the Daily Mail, much to the envy of my friends at school, because they couldn't believe that this girl who showed up from Peru, who nobody knew and was not a young lady, because they were all from very good British families, uh, was suddenly taking up the, the spotlight. The, the, The spotlight. <laughs> so they didn't like that very much, but that was the way it was. I mean, even when we had to make our own dresses and things, and I made myself this amazing dress. But at one point, we had to go to dinner with the members of the royal family. And of course, I was sitting on uh, Prince Charles's right, <laughs> which is very unusual because always uh, it was royalty and people like that were sat on the right of, of royalty or big, big names, you know, names with titles and things. And so that was, that was rather funny, actually. Oh, they, they rather despised me after that. But they <laughs> liked me because I was actually fun. I was the only one who was doing stuff, you know. So in the end, I, I was all right. <laughs> Do you think that people have always envy you? Not, not really envy because I, I'm not a, uh, a social climber and I'm not... Uh, a snob, you know, I tend to make people laugh a lot when I, when I, I used to do a lot of imitations and things when I was much younger, because I was, you know, this acting thing was lodged in my brain. And so I used to imitate all kinds of voices and things and make every people roar with laughter. So that breaks the ice, you see. 
But of course, I was very tall and good looking, and I had this amazing hair that flowed right down to my waist. And and on top, I was, you know, working for already doing photographs for Vogue and things like that. I mean, my life went around the other way around. I didn't have to work my way up. I came in at the top and worked my way down, as uh, I sometime ago read that that a famous decorator in New York said. I can't remember his name. But anyway, that's the way it went. And so, you know, my life is sort of just uh, different things were happening that I was almost, I was unaware of mostly. Yeah, you told me that you then became aware that you were becoming famous. Much, much later, I became aware that I became famous like in New York, where I'd never been. I didn't go to New York ever because we didn't need to go to New York. And, you know, it wasn't a city that we frequented. And so... But I, when I finally did go to New York, because I was also in the social pages, you see, when Vogue, Vogue was also looked at, not only for the pictures of fashion, but the people used to really look at the social pages and who was in the social pages. And I was appearing in the social pages an awful lot with important personalities from, from New York as well. So, you know, like the Cushings and the people like that. Bob Loeb and stuff like that, millionaires, no? And so they were looking at that. And I was always very well dressed because I always had these amazing dresses, which didn't cost me money. I, I, I could just pick up <laughs> anything you wanted. <laughs> I picked up anything I wanted practically, but I, I paid for it. But I paid the the, the price of a, of a wholesale sort of, um, you know, haute couture thing. But it was like, and some of them they just gave me. I mean, I have a suitcase of stuff here. Well, you were in France. You had this agent named... Jean Enchique, yeah. He was a very good agent, actually. Um, Then he he became a producer, and he was the one that sent you to all these castings. And you almost Um, made a film with Jane Birkin. No, I did make a film with Jane Birkin. Oh, you did? did, I I did. I can't find it on the, in the, the reels of stuff that she's made, but we, I did make a film with her. Most of it ended up on the cutting room floor, as they say, you know, but I was supposedly Jane Birkin's sister in that movie. And I remember we, we actually filmed a bit of it at Regine's nightclub because Regine was just coming out. She, because before that, you'd go to a place and you'd, you'd put the record player on, you know, there's these machines that you'd put a coin in and a, the records would come down and you'd listen to music, but they didn't have nightclubs. La discotheque was created, invented by Regine. And the first discotheque that Regine did in Paris was called New Jimmy's. And it was on a corner of uh, Le Quartier Latin, the Quartier Latin, the, 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 the most moved, you know, place of of Paris, where people moved around and had fun and stuff. And she opened that disco- discotheque. And it was, it was incredible because you had to r- ring the doorbell and she would choose who came in and who didn't, no? Oh, no, no, it's full, full, no room. If she saw somebody she liked, boom, boom, come in, no? And then she had a sort of uh, a, uh, a living room in the entrance, a sort of semicircular living room in the entrance where she would sit people and bottles of champagne would be sitting there. Which, which were put there for free because at that time, Wete Chandon, for instance, didn't do advertising. They only did, you know, they figured always they're in the right place. No, they were always in the right place. Obviously, a new discotheque by Hygiene was going to be in the right place to have a bottle of champagne. <laughs> and then, so you'd go there and she'd sit you there 
and you'd have a chat and then you'd go into the, the, the darker room, which is a fantastic music going on there. And you'd have a good dance, you know, and then come back out and sit there and have another chat and then go back in there again and dance. That's the way it was at, at uh, New Jimmy's. How you decide to go to Hollywood? Well, as I say, I always had this, this fascination and this obs uh, almost obsession of becoming uh, a Hollywood actress, which, which I didn't do because I came to Peru. <laughs> But uh, I went to Hollywood. And first of all, because I had this friend, John Philip Law, who lived there and had met, who I'd met when he came to Peru years ago with Dennis Hopper, Ted Markland. He was a very good friend of Peter, Peter Fonda. They were like the old school Hollywood boys, you know, mm -hmm. that's, what the, that's what they called them sort of thing. And they um, making movies, not top, top bracket movies, you know, cheaper movies sort of thing. And because Peter Fonda was always making movies and Dennis Hopper making movies. And he made a couple of movies in Peru, you know. Anyway, so I met him in Peru. And then I decided to go and visit him because he married my very good friend, Sean Ryan, who's a darling friend of mine. And, uh, and so I went to visit her. And then I got to know a little bit how Hollywood is distributed, you know. Um, Hollywood, L.A., Beverly Hills. <laughs> yeah. You know, the beach area and everything. And so... The whole map. That was all. <laughs> that was all then. That was, you know, a few few famous people, but not not the top notch. I met the top notch later when I went again, and I stayed with Alana. She was Alana Hamilton then, and she just divorced George. They were considered Hollywood royalty. You know, it's so funny because, of course, they did know the top notch. I mean, George was impeccable. No, he was always tan. He took all these vitamins and, and supplements and things, and he had a special doctor who would pile them up with pills. And there's a joke that you can see, see people walking down the street in, in Hollywood and they would rattle like, with pills. <laughs> well, there was a lot of pill taking at nighttime, but I'll get to that later. But uh, George was always impeccable, impeccably dressed and, and, and always tanned and a uh, very handsome man. Depends on the looks you like, but not quite my cup of tea. But but he was a handsome man, considerably, and an actor, and yeah. also brushing with with the upper league and always with the royalty and something. You know, not not English royalty, but American royalty. Well, then with them you met uh, Bob Evans, who was the producer of The Godfather. That's right, and Bob was a big shot producer. He was making the hottest films uh, in, the, in Hollywood at that time. You know, all the best films at that time he was making. But at that house was some of the wildest parties where every, every house, not every house, but ma many people had these amazing parties. I'd always go to them with Alana. But and then after I started going on my own, because, I mean, it was, I was no angel. I want to clear this part because like you yeah. first was, were staying with Alana and then your partner at the time, Fred, bought you a house there and your neighbor was the music producer. Gil Friesen. Yeah. Gil Friesen was a big shot producer, record producer. Yeah. He, A&M Records, uh, Herb Alpert was A and Sergio Mendes was the M. Herbert Albert Mendes, and he was a he was a manager. 
So he did all the contracts and he picked up all the best musicians. He became extremely famous because he made a lot of money because at that time it was all about records. Well, um, there you met a lot of people, a lot of famous people um, like uh, Jack Nicholson, Roman Polanski, Desi Arnaz Jr., who was uh, Lucille Ball's uh, son, Olivia Hasse, Richard Donner, Dean Paul Martin, Bob Evans, Sam Spiegel. Well, hang on, you're going through all the names like at top speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, I had a, I had a fun trip with Desi Arnaz Jr. and and um, Dino Martin, Dean Martin's son. And they invited me to go with them because Olivia Hussey, who is the, the, the later, later became, it was the actress of, of um, Romeo and Juliet. Mm -hmm. huh? And she wanted, she wanted to go to an ashram. An ashram at that time was a place that they were new, these places uh, where people used to go to meditate and do yoga. And, and you'd, you, you'd stay there. You could go there and stay at the ashram for a few days, you know. I'd pay up a little bit of money, I guess, and and they would um, give you food and you'd stay there and sleep in. And anyway, Olivia was going to one of these places and you'd sing and cling, 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 cling. <laughs> yeah. So we all hopped on the plane. Come with us, come with us. So I hopped on the plane with them and off we went to San Francisco to drop her off at this ashram. And and we Olivia Hussey, we, we were dropping Olivia Hussey at the at the ashram. So we went there and we were singing away. And I was singing away, of course, because I love these things. So I was singing away. I knew the songs and this and the other. And then they, of course, they invited me to stay. And I said no. <laughs> <laughs> so I flew back with these these two wild guys. But it was only just that, you know. That was it was uh, that was a fun thing of the, that that um, partnership. Let's say it was brief. But there were these amazing parties at these people's houses um, that were that were quite outrageous, in fact, you know, because uh, there was a lot of, um, well, there was dancing, of course, but there were also sex and drugs and this famous drug that was called a quaalude, which was... Um, what was that? Uh, it's, it, was a it was a weird, it was a pill that you'd take and it was like, it... it Your body became, you, you lost control of your body, but your brain was still sharp. Like strange. poppers? I don't know. I can't remember what poppers were like, but I remember the name <laughs> poppers as well. <laughs> well. Well, all this stuff was, I mean, all of Hollywood like that was like that. It was like free range sex for everybody. That was the way it was moving around. And at, at Bob Evans's house was exactly the same. What he wanted was sex. He wanted me to be part of his pack. You know? He wanted me to join him and whoever the other girl was and to be a threesome. You know? and, I, and I refused. I, I said, no, no. And because he would give me a role if I did that. Because that's the yeah. way people got to, to make films. You know? And this was announced many years later. But at the time, this was a standard procedure. Yeah, sex, and then you get a part. <laughs> I mean, I think that's how always has worked like that. We were talking about the parties and all the excesses. My question yeah. was how you managed it. I mean, like I know that how you said before that you were not any angel, but how did you manage not becoming an addict? 
Well, I don't know. I have no idea how I did. I managed to escape that addiction, but I did, and and um, I guess I didn't consume that much, just enough to not be spotted as a as a non-consumer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like but, just for fun. Yeah, just for fun. I, so if somebody would pass me a thing, I would take a tiny little thing and pass it on. You know, whatever. That that's the way I'd escape the thing. I I didn't carry around my own drugs. You know, so I was just a consumer uh, of, of someone else's pack, sort of thing, cocaine or whatever was going around at that time. I did. I do remember taking one quaalude to try it out, and and I thought, oh God, this is dangerous. <laughs> I'm not going to get into that because I couldn't control my body. You know, my body was gone, my brain was still there, and I thought, this is very dangerous. You know, I, I better watch out. Because, I mean, I'd go to these parties and it wasn't I was hanging around in these parties all the time because, um, you know, I remember on another party I woke up and there was a friend of mine on the, on the other side of the bed. <laughs> we were both in bed with uh, Ryan O'Neill. <laughs> I thought, I mean, I just woke up and he was fast asleep. Like, Come on, let's get out of here. <laughs> we got out of here. As fast as we could, but it was amazing. I mean, that was what went on all over the place. It was like free sex all over the place. This is obviously before, before AIDS. AIDS. AIDS came, clamped down. You know, everybody stopped. You got because scared because everybody Tina got Chow got it right. I mean, because at first, oh, Tina Chow. Uh, yes, I remember. Yeah. Well. She was the first person that I knew who got it, who was close, you know, because she was a dear friend. I mean, the thing is that at first, uh, doctors and people were saying that that disease was only uh, for gay men. It only happened to gay men. But then when women started to get into the whole scene of liberal sex, it stopped, right? Well, it came to a halt. You know, uh, there there was a lot of sex going on still, but I think a lot of people like us, you know, who were playing around, suddenly decided, oh, let's get off that train. It's too dangerous. You know, it's 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 just going too fast because people are popping off all over the place. And um, I remember when when Tina died, it was like, oh, you know, big shock. And I thought that's, that's strange. So, so that means she must have been going to bed with some guys, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, as well. Somebody who got it passed it on to her, you see, and so then it suddenly became evident you had to be careful, and uh, and that just stopped. For me, it was clear, clear as a bell. Just got to get off that train quick, because I was having a wild time in Paris and in, in Rome and everywhere. You know, Woo, Rome was terrible. You know, so so, but still, LA was was like the focal point. Uh, at that time, and um, New York as well. Oh, New York as well. But I didn't go to I didn't go to New York that much. I'd hop by New York for a few days on my way to LA or on my way back. You know, that maybe a bit, but not much. Not much time in New York. Um, because I got myself a house in in LA, and I bought myself a small house in a very nice place with a beautiful view. Just up the Chateau Marmont, Marmont Avenue it's called, but it's not a big avenue. It's just a little tiny street that goes up past Chateau Marmont, which was an emblematic hotel that had a lot of activity there. 
And then I went up the street to the dead end. And there I found a little house that was absolutely charming. And I fixed it up. I put a pool, a little jacuzzi. And just, we only had two bedrooms. I didn't need more than that. And it was delightful. So I thought, well, I can live here and, and do my, my acting life, you know, in L.A. But acting in L.A. was all about having sex with the people and getting a job because you had sex. You That's told it became me, notorious later. No? Yeah, you told me about your experience with Spiegel who apparently oh. was like, like the Weinstein at, at the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, he became known after. Oh, he was terrible. If you look him up. <laughs> But, I mean, he, I met him, funny enough, later, because I met him when I was already in Closters in Switzerland. Let's just start by saying who Spiegel was. Okay. Sam Spiegel was one of the biggest moguls But he made his own productions. He was a big mobile producer of the 60s. I mean, he had a long career in the movie business. And he was a typical Jewish guy, you know, short and uh, very prominent nose, no? It's to sniff people out, I guess. <laughs> but, but he was a character. I mean, I used to quite enjoy conversations with him. But then he would, all, you know, I remember once in, in He rammed me against the wall and he tried to kiss me, you know, and, and I bit his tongue. <laughs> I bit his tongue and, and ran out into my house because he was actually, in, I was at my doorstep, so it wasn't difficult for me to get away. I just ran into my house and shut the door, boom, and that was it. But I did see him again. I saw him again in, in London. Of course, he didn't give up. It wasn't just a tiny little bite for him. <laughs> and, and of course he was determined to get going again because he was so he became famous for doing yes. this I ran out of the house and said I'm going to the loo I'll be back in two minutes and then I ran off and never came back <laughs> so <laughs> we could say that he was the Harvey Weinstein of the time yeah well you know, these guys came later of course but this is it was heavy duty that was the way things were done in LA at that time And that's well, why I wouldn't have, I don't think I would have managed an acting career in LA because I just, for me, it wasn't uh, about that. I, I was on the other, on the other side of the coin, let's say, no? I was a, like a playgirl at the time to try out, you know, whatever, have fun with. And then bingo, I'd just keep out and go off, <laughs> disappear in the night or something. <laughs> it was quite easy to get out of it because you just walk out to the loo and never come back. <laughs> I had a good teacher, which, which you can take up on another, on another uh, story, who was a famous uh, playboy, Gunter Sachs. Yeah, you have told me about him, but yeah. it's another chapter. That's another episode. Why do you think that people didn't manifest at the time what was going on in Hollywood? Because nobody would have listened. This was going on over, all over the place. This free set of sex thing was going on all over the place. It wasn't just in Hollywood. It was in Rome. It was in Milan. It was in London. It was all over the place. Everyone, everyone was into this sort of free sex thing. And it stopped because of AIDS. Or so it suddenly came to a jolting halt because of AIDS. Evans offered me a, a part in, in his upcoming movies. He was making the best movies in the industry in Hollywood at the time. 
And anybody would have wanted to, to make a movie with him. But I was so cheeky. I said to him, when you see my movie that's coming out, because <laughs> I'd made one or, you know, whatever, in Paris and stuff, I said, well, you, if, you, if you like my acting, and then I can, I can make, you know, if you choose me to be an actress or thing, the other way around. Like, and, of course, that never happened. But he kept chasing me. He kept chasing me. And he'd come up into Paris. He would call me and, and try to convince me to, you know, do it with him. And I would have got a part, I assure you. That was a procedure. That was a general procedure of, of things as it was in Hollywood at that time. Until AIDS came. You see, AIDS put the brake on. And everyone sort of looked around and said, oh, my God, this is dangerous. I might but lose my life. Yeah. It stopped. I assure you it stopped because it was just, uh, nobody knew how to get rid of AIDS. And it went, and it just took over. It took over with strength, you know. You were losing friends left, right, and center. And so everybody got frightened and sort of put the brakes on. Get off that train. It's going too fast, you know. It could be a woman. could be a man. It, you just didn't know. They could be a carrier, like like this, this COVID thing mm -hmm. now. Yeah, like COVID. Changing the topic. <laughs> um, uh, another famous actress you met were the Douglas, Michael, Peter, oh and Kirk. And uh, you used to date Michael for a while while he was uh, making the show The Streets of San Francisco. And he was ro roommate of Danny DeVito. That's so right. Uh, how was said. that time with them? I think I met Michael in Cannes because. I went to Cannes, Helmut Berger, who was a dear friend, a wild one. Ooh, he was a very wild one. Cannes, in Cannes, in France, in the south of France, where they do the film. The film yeah, yeah, festival. the film festival. Yeah, the film festival. And they were honoring uh, uh, Visconti. And Helmut had been a, a couple, or say, one of his favorite actors, and also, obviously, uh, you know, whatever, one of his entourage, no? Obviously, I had sex with him. Because I met Michael in Cannes at Johnny Pigozzi's house. He's still alive, so we've got to be careful. <laughs> so, <laughs> is so is Michael uh, uh, Douglas. But still, anyway, I met him there. And then um, then I went to L.A. and, and saw him again. And uh, we had an affair. Um, I had more fun with Danny DeVito, quite honestly, <laughs> but, but in conversations and things with him. Um, but it didn't last long because, you know, no pasa nada. Just, just like <laughs> it wasn't my cup of tea or anything. Well, I wasn't his cup of tea. So, no. But anyway, I did go to the, I did go, he, he passed me on to his brother sort of thing, who at that time they were bringing out the movie. It was the final <laughs> countdown? It was a famous, famous movie, and it came out, and Peter took me to the, to the, um, the premiere. I went to the premiere with Peter, who was actually a half-brother of Michael's. And so I went to the premiere with Peter. <laughs> it was hilarious, because before Mother's spaceship landed, I fell asleep. <laughs> the final countdown was coming down, and the, the spaceship was coming down, and I fell asleep. I fell asleep. I didn't see any of the movie. Because I fell asleep because I smoked pot and the spot was perfect to make me sleep, you know. So I fell fast asleep. He couldn't believe it. He couldn't, you missed the whole movie. You fell asleep. 
when did you fall asleep? I said, I just as mother's I said, the last thing I saw was a mother's spaceship about to land. <laughs> anyway, they thought that was very funny. I thought it I. And then I even met Kirk because he was actually, I can't remember, in another city. And I was going there because of this modeling thing. And um, and so I, you know, um, Michael said, call up my father. And so I did. I called him up and had dinner with him, in fact. And uh, we had a lovely time. Um, but I was there on a, on a modeling job. So I went back to my work and that's it. But, but it, was, it was delightful, interesting, marvelous man. And, of course, when I arrived at the door, he said, oh, my partner for the night. <laughs> he picked me up and swirled me around the room. <laughs> anyway, so I didn't last long because after that, he, he, he actually married Diandra Lecker, right? Yeah, he married Diandra. But it was funny because he thought he was marrying a very serious girl from, you know, family, father, uh, an ambassador, that kind of person. Nothing to do with the cinema. He thought this will be fine and it'll be straight and it'll be normal. <laughs> Everything gets twisted in L.A. <laughs> yeah, she became quite wicked as well. <laughs> well, so then the funny thing of all of this is that it all started when your mom decided to make a family home in Marbella, where the Condes of Romanones, Eileen, she discovered you as a model, and you did your first shoot for Vogue when you were 16 years old, on 1967. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's another story. Yeah, I know that that's another story, but don't you think it's interesting, like how it all happened, you know, like how it all scaled? Yeah. Well, oh, it did. It was amazing. And, I, and on top, when I was in L.A., as you mentioned, that the house that, that I found on Marmont Avenue was terrific and it was a cute little house and I fixed it up and everything. But that was a gift that uh, Fred Chandon, who was already my partner, my life partner, whom I'd also met. Life just bumbles on. And, and I was only, I was ever so young when I came across all these things, you know. After knowing Eileen and doing that service, I went to cookery school as well. It said, I mean, life goes bumbling along. So that's when you went back to Europe? Well, I was never in L.A. I bought the house. I fixed it up. And uh, I would just come in and out, you know. And okay. I was singing in, I was singing in Paris. I was singing in in LA, I was taking singing lessons and I was taking, I was thinking of going incursioning into acting, you know, I was, but, but I didn't get in because I wasn't, you know, I, I don't know how most people did it. I mean, uh, you know, I don't know. Do you regret it? No, no. I would have liked to have done a, big acting career, but I wasn't prepared to do it that way, you know. So I wanted to be recognized for my talent, let's say. That's why I wanted to, originally, what I wanted to do was to go to, in England, and study Shakespeare and work my way up that way. But my father didn't let me, you know, he didn't want me to do that. And at that time, fathers were fathers. Sort of, you just didn't didn't do what you liked. You just did what your father said. You know, it was he was the boss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, 
<laughs> not like these times. I think like time yeah, time of time have changed. Now the ones who are the boss parents around are the kids. But at that time it wasn't like that at all. You did what your parents said, you know, and that was it. So well, I said to my father, I want to go to acting school. But it wasn't like there wasn't a big acting school like there is now. You could go to university and study acting. At that time there wasn't university acting studies. Well, I could have gone probably to Cambridge and got into the acting bit, studying something else, you know, like big actors did. Mm-hmm. They were studying something else and there was an acting scenario, you know, where people used to act and 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 enjoy themselves and maybe belong to the wrong, you know, you'd be in Cambridge or you'd be in another house or whatever, different houses. And maybe the big acting one was the wrong house and you would belong to the other one, but you you were doing so much acting at that house that, 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 that people thought you belonged to that house, you know, of the of the university, Cambridge or Oxford. I think Cambridge was much more effective in that way because there were some big guys who came out of Cambridge, uh, you know, all these, these funny guys, you know, all the, the funniest actors in, in England, they were all went to Cambridge University. Yeah. They're all university students. <laughs> well educated. You know? Yeah, they were but, well educated. Yeah, it's interesting. But um, yeah, I mean, but, but anyway, I, I had a good time. I can't complain. I had a very good time. And, and things only changed because I came to Peru. But before, yeah. and that's another a, story. <laughs> that's another story. But before that, there's a lot to be told of how I got a, moved around in Europe at that time. Because at that time, uh, I mean, for instance, people talk, I, I remember coming across somebody in, in, um, in Panama once on an island, a private island, and they said to me, of course I know who you are. You're the person who had most fun in Paris in the 60s and 70s. <laughs> well, Susie, that has been the episode of today. I hope you guys have had fun listening to Susie's stories, which are unbelievable. On the next episode, we'll be talking about her modeling career and how it all started and ended. Well, I think what we can capture from this story is, is that free sex is a dangerous thing to indulge in. And, um, and there's always, it's strange how these things appear that, that stop people doing things, you know, like everybody was into such free sex all over the place. And it was a very, you know, it, it was too much. And suddenly AIDS appears, like to control the whole thing, I think. But uh, a dangerous thing to incur in. So I think one has to be careful. Always. The other thing we could take on from this episode is the fact that it's not okay to go to bed with with someone that you don't want to because of power, you know. Oh well, I don't think it is, but a lot of people do it. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean a lot of people do it on purpose, but I mean a lot of people are like afraid if they say no, you know. So I think that's the important thing that you are teaching us that you can say no. You can, of course you can say no. And you can have personality for it too, you know. And they might continue to chase you like Bob Evans did. Boy, he, he didn't give up. <laughs> <laughs> But he didn't get what he wanted. So, you know, that was it. And I, and I wasn't about to give him 
more of what he wanted just for a part. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, people, that's been our episode of today. I hope you guys really, really have had fun and also learned something about Susie's life. On the next episode, we will be talking about uh, Susie and fashion. So if there's any questions you have, uh, you can leave them at the Instagram. It's lovely Susie Dyson. You can enter on the link in bio of the Instagram and you will find your wherever you listen to your podcast. Yeah, subscribe and we will still be here recording and recording more episodes. There's lots more to tell. <laughs> <laughs> so come back and join us for another capital or another capitulo, another story. But it's always interesting. There's always things to learn. That's the thing, you know. I think the important thing here is to watch out. Play safe when you're having sex. Play safe.